Welcome to the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, Finance Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Akash Madaya, CFO of MGMA based in Denver, Colorado. Akash, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Jack. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the CFO of MGMA, which for your listeners stands for Medical Group Management Association. We are a 95-year-old national organization based in Colorado, and we help medical practices across the country with the business side of running their practices. Our mission is really to achieve medical practice excellence through delivering insights and advocacy for our members and customers. And uh, prior to MGMA, I served as a regional CFO for a multi-specialty provider. So kind of both perspectives here. And uh, I look forward to the conversation today. Excellent. We appreciate you having me on the show. And just to give a little background before we get into our conversation, we obviously know that hospitals and health systems suffered historic financial challenges related to the pandemic last year, but medical groups and physician practices were not spared either. These smaller provider organizations endured similar constraints due to declining revenues and rising expenses, a trend that hasn't ceased thus far in 2021. The path to a more financially sustainable operation and prosperous future remains tenuous for most medical groups, but there are opportunities for leaders who are willing to make the necessary changes. So with that in mind, I want to start our conversation there. Akash, just at a high level, I'm curious your advice for financial executives at provider organizations as they continue to deal with the issues and the, the changing dynamics presented by COVID. And kind of a follow-up to that, are you optimistic or pessimistic about their prospects, if you can elaborate on that? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think first I would advise ev that everyone be taking advantage of the federal financial assistance programs. So namely the Provider Relief Fund, also called PRF, which has now been reopened, and the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, also called PPP. Um, I'll say our government affairs team based in DC has done remarkable work advocating for practices and organizations to receive relief through the pandemic. MGMA members have been extremely involved and active in the advocacy efforts. In just one of our grassroots campaigns, we mobilized 2,000 medical practices to send over 7,000 letters to Congress in less than 48 hours, uh, and it helped secure sufficient funding for medical practices. So in the relief packages, there's over $175 billion allocated just for healthcare providers. So there is available money out there. And these programs are really put in place to help medical practices and businesses stay afloat and overcome the downside uh, impact of the pandemic. So with, with respect to these programs, they're really, they're loans, but there's, there's an administrative aspect to these. So um, I think F, FY21, or I should say calendar 21, there's going to be a lot of back-end work for the medical community to make sure that the, the loans and grants uh, are forgiven. And so I think that's, that's the burden for um, the medical community, the healthcare community at large. But um, I think overall, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about um, where things are going. You know, the spring-summer timeline, that was kind of the worst worst of times. It was the darkest period. And we've had uh, an uptick since. Um, I think as people feel more comfortable co going back to to doctor's offices, you know, I don't think, you know, people that 
skipped out on their annual checkup, those, that, those kind of dollars aren't ever coming back, but that's where the those relief programs were meant to help. But there is a backlog of, you know, elective procedures. And I think the trend is going up and I feel that's uh, going to continue um, through the rest of the year, especially with obviously the, the vaccine rollout um, this year. I'm glad that you brought up the federal loans as it relates to PPP and obviously through the CARES Act. I am curious and, and want to dig a little deeper into that in, in what your sense is for what role government should play, both at the federal and state level. At the time that we're recording this, there's ongoing conversations with the Biden administration and the Senate over the size of the next stimulus package, who it's going to and what kind of size. What role do you think the federal government should play in terms of um, assisting care providers who are still dealing with these financial challenges. And also going outside of the government aspect, is there any action that payers should be taking to help their counterparts on the, on the provider side get through these tough times? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a good question. What future actions should they take? As I mentioned, the money is out there. So it's up to providers to access that. Um, so I think the government has responded. Um, and everybody should be should be accessing the dollars based on their eligibility. But now going forward, I think the biggest thing government can do is just ease, ease the administrative burden to make sure the reconciliation and forgiveness of loans is easy for the medical groups. So like needless to say, medical groups are going to be busy enough this year. And I think focusing on patient care is should be paramount and not be bogged down by the administrative burden. Now, you know, I'll also add our CEO, Dr. Haley Fisher, right? She sent a letter to the Biden administration last week asking the medical group that medical group practices specifically are included in the vaccine distribution strategy, just given their role as community providers um, in the across the country. So I think that's important for the government. The, the payers are a little trickier. They have, they of course are under no obligation to help, but I would say any cooperation and long-term view can really help. Really, you know, we're all in this together mentality. Um, they have a role in supporting the mechanisms that keep both patients and medical practices healthy in 2021. So specifically making sure things like that help providers through the pandemic, such as reimbursements for expanded telehealth services continue. And just like the government, any reduction to administrative burden, uh, such as relaxed prior authorization can only help uh, going forward. It'll be interesting to see what um, each side that you highlighted there comes to the table with and does to help these ailing provider organizations. I, I know that we've, we've had uh, two of these questions so far focused on COVID, but given that you work in the medical group space. I did want to ask a question as it relates specifically to the industry. Your thoughts on the continued effort by private equity firms acquiring medical groups and physician practices. That's obviously been a trend that's been increasing over the past few years and people are trying to understand what impact that's going to have on the medical group and physician practice side. What are your thoughts on that and what impact do you think that's going to have on the industry at large as we see PE firms uh, moving into the space? I mean, I think there's a general, you know, when private equity enters an industry, there's um, a general sense that 
they will cut costs and slash and burn and then sell it for a profit. Um, I think that's probably the, the most pessimistic view of them. You know, I'm not in general fearful of them. They're a player in all industries across America. And, you know, I think they can cut costs in a good way and try to create synergies to make sure revenues are increasing too. Um, I think where it comes to healthcare, there's a fear it's going to hurt the consumer or the patient in this case and decrease access to healthcare. And so I think the profit tone that comes along with private equity often takes away from the altruistic tone that we convey with our members at MGMA and our physician practices that they're really about the practices. So I think that's the push and pull there with private equity. Um, I think the big question is how will they generate the returns they're used to seeing while also improving the patient experience, which again means more access and better outcomes. But if they're willing to invest in technology and processes that can help the industry, there can be real upside. But I think that comes at a time horizon that's a little bit longer than they're typically used to because while I think healthcare is continually changing, um, the speed of that change is not always uh, conducive to what uh, private equity is traditionally invested in. Um, and, I, you know, I think with our members, there's general skepticism, again, with how, what, what approach they're going to take. Are they going to be investing for the long haul or are they uh, the, the short-term view and really motivated by profits? Like you said, it's kind of those compounding uh, forces in terms of looking for obviously the financial upside, but then having to play the long game too, which as you mentioned, it's not something that PE firms are typically accustomed to or looking to get into. So it's it's interesting to see those dynamics at play and, and how that's going to shake out for medical groups going forward. Absolutely. And I think there's competition from not just PE, but there's traditional players in the market as well, bigger medical groups that are expanding nationally that they, they have to compete with that have the traditional knowledge as well. We'll be following it going forward. Certainly something that's uh, on the radar for provider executives. Uh, Akash, you've been very generous with your time. And I have one more question here for you, which kind of goes back to the, the COVID challenges, but it, it kind of incorporates all of the issues that are facing provider organizations. So I'm just curious, what kind of long-term strategies should uh, medical group executives follow to be more resilient and kind of avoid being as vulnerable as they were, say, in March of 2020, when suddenly um, temporary surgeries and procedures were taken offline? You know, what can they do to, to be bolstered and stronger the next time that, God forbid, something like this comes around? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is always be vigilant. Um, so try to be ahead of the curve on, on these things, but on the expense side, making sure there's no extra waste um, in your practice or organization and not worrying about cutting things when when the money is tight. So always running an efficient practice. I mean, that's just low hanging fruit. But I think the other part of that is being on the offensive to the extent you have the resource to do so. So investing in your organization to make it more efficient or more profitable now rather than being reactive in a hopefully not pandemic situation in the future, but any, um, I guess, urgent situation in the future. So one example is from the pandemic is telehealth. Uh, that was a huge lifeline to a lot of practices 
to make sure revenue was still um, streaming in. But many practices had not Im implemented telehealth prior to COVID-19, and they were being more, more reactive. We're trying to invest more in data now to make sure we're looking ahead and being prepared for the future. And then, you know, I'll just reference uh, an MGMA stat urine review report. A lot of practices are changing the way they measure um, their uh, key metrics of success. So looking at things on a more frequent basis, on a weekly basis rather than monthly basis. So again, getting ahead of that reactive curve and being sure you're um, being proactive with your practices or organization. And then finally, I think, you know, this doesn't just help, uh, go for healthcare, but reassessing space needs. Um, I think understanding how successful you are as a remote organization um, and what, what, what you should be investing in going forward. What, what are your space needs going forward? I think that applies to a number of industries across, across America. But I mean, I think the bottom line is being proactive, being trying to foresee what the challenges uh, you need to get ahead of and make sure to the extent you can really investing in those areas. I think those are key points, which, like you said, don't only apply to healthcare, but also apply to different aspects of the American economy, especially as we're here on the rebound and trying to get back to something close to normal. So appreciate you detailing those and obviously being on our show here. It's been wonderful speaking with you and always uh, appreciate the time that MGMA spends uh, in its efforts to bolster, obviously, the medical group community, but provider organizations at large. So thank you for being on the show with us. And we hope that sometime in the future, you'll be able to join us again. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack, so much for having me. And I enjoyed it. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. Till next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.